This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. And I'm Jenny from Reading Envy. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. And, Hi. And welcome to, uh, let's see, we're going to talk about Human Man's Burden by Robert Sheckley, which is a short story yeah. Yeah, with a Very bunch short. of uppity damn robots. Very uppity. <laughs> That's right. And robots have sex. I don't know, but I I think the robots are the best part of this this story. What do you guys think? You think that robots are yeah, part of this like story? No, I think that the best part of the story. Oh, is the robots? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they're very conniving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I just love the way Sheckley talks about them. I think he's, I, I think the plot in this is is pretty weak. But I love the uh, I love the characterization of the robots. It's hilarious. Very expressive. Very they can smile and have different facial expressions. Yeah, they blush too. Yeah. That's what happens when you have no souls. And <laughs> 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 which is mentioned about seven or eight times, so he's trying to tell us yep. something. So this was uh first published in Galaxy Magazine, September nineteen fifty six. And uh, how would you describe what the plot's about? Scott? Well, when I, when I read it, it, it um, gave me the feel of an old Star Trek episode. Um, uh, who knows if the Star Trek episode came from this, but it was one of those um, with that... Oh, I should have looked up the guy's name. Mud, Harry Mud. Oh, Harry Mud? Harry Mud, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, you know, without the Harry Mudd character specifically. But there's this guy who lives alone on this planetoid. He's a miner. I mean, he's bought this planetoid, so he owns it. And he gets his, uh, it's not Sears Roebuck anymore. It's slightly a different name. He gets a catalog, and in that catalog, he can order a bride. So he goes ahead and he does that after consulting with his robot <laughs> mm-hmm. one of his robots uh, so like exactly the same <laughs> yeah yeah and well, then pretty, pretty close mm-hmm. yeah and then um they freeze dry a um a lady <laughs> and send it to <laughs> yeah, i wish we could do that I, <laughs> I, I think she's not freeze dry. she's flash frozen flash not frozen okay dry. not freeze dry. <laughs> <laughs> just that water oh man yeah, this story also reminded me of a book called Kiln People by David Brin. Has everybody has anyone read that? No, I haven't uh, read it. It's it's not quite the same thing, but the the whole uh flash freezing of people kind of reminded me of it. But in Kiln People, you can make copies of yourself in this kiln. So Kiln People kind of has a double meaning. So it's <laughs> killing people and killing people because the whole book is a murder mystery. Um but it's a good book. I enjoyed it. Yeah, he explores the whole idea of uh, duplicating yourself um, quite a bit. But this book is not about, or this story is not about duplicating yourself, but it uh, reminded me of Kiln People. It, they're just a both bit. sort of uh, comedic in a way, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the David Brin book is comedic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, I'll tell you what it reminded me of completely. I actually went and compared it just to be sure, but it totally does. Uh, there's a episode of the Twilight Zone uh, called The Lonely, 
which is from the first season, the original Twilight Zone. Um, and that's it starts with a, an inmate on an asteroid, and he's been sentenced to murder uh, 50 years on an asteroid by himself, solitary confinement. Um, and uh, he's going crazy. He only gets a visit from from Earth every three months, which is just to drop off supplies, and they have like 10 minutes to talk to him and and take off. But the, the commander of the uh, supply ship is very sympathetic to, to the poor guy's um, confinement, so he... He drops off a special container on a trip, and inside is a robot woman. And he <laughs> he opens it up, and he says, "Oh my God, it's a robot!" and and he has wants to have nothing to do with it because it's just mocking him, right? That he's still alone. But he soon comes to fall in love with the robot, and it's kind of similar in that respect. So when I started reading Human Man's Burden, I thought it was going to be a, uh, I thought she was going to be a robot because there were so many other robots in the story. Yeah, I and, did too. I, I kind of assumed she was going to be a robot and was surprised yeah. when she wasn't. Yeah, me too. Very surprised. Mm. I thought so too. Oh, <laughs> almost universal. Well, and especially, I think the description with the perfectly formed fingernails and toenails, I was like, why is that so important? Ah, I thought maybe it, it was is. something that was manufactured, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is? <laughs> and her center of gravity was way off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that was a clue right there. I mean, maybe, great. could she have been a robot anyways? Because, yeah, uh, when you're talking about, you know, the center of gravity and things like that, I just thought for sure that was going to be a manufactured person somehow. Huh. Well, the way, the way, I mean, the way they describe her, it sounds like she is a robot, right? I mean, mail-order brides, uh, you know, get, get your, what, what do they call it, frontier model? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like women come in different models. There's the, the short model, the tall model, and the strong model, and the weak model, the crying model, and the... Uh, and the robots are like your kids. Model? I don't care. Of. Yeah. So well, and there's all this. When you you assume at the end that she's been spending time kind of planning with his head slave robot, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure that he doesn't actually get a new ro- robot wife ordered or whatever. <laughs> so there's conversation happening that we're not seeing in the story. She's very deceptive. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't trust her. <laughs> <laughs> But he fell in love. What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe she really is a robot, though. Well, I think I think we have to test her deeper to to find some you know one line that would 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 find uh you know find her out. But uh, I, I expected her to be, but I, I think that that was undercut a lot. Um, I mean, think the way that uh, Gunga Sam. That's the Let's see, he's the foreman robot. Yeah. The way he treats uh, his master and, and his mistress, uh, they're equal. So unless everybody's a robot, <laughs> which I suppose is possible, and maybe the point of the story, um, I think, I, I, I just, I, I think that the, the reason this story is really uh, a good one to read is for the robots. And they're not mm-hmm. even for Gunga Sam as much as for the description of, of the robot lifestyle. <laughs> and the strange well, colonial terminology, like Sahib and yeah, Fendi. Yeah, Fendi and Sahib. And I think there's a couple, oh, there's Boss and 
I, I, I like Duenna. Uh, well, yeah, I had to look that word up. Yeah. It's uh, Portuguese for uh, chaperone. Right. Hmm. How about that? Mm-hmm. And Gunga Sam is like Gunga Dean, I guess. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was listening to the Writing Excuses podcast uh, very recently. Did you guys hear the one where they talk about how uh, they had, um, uh, I think, the editor from Pyre Books? Who's that? Yeah, about movie formulas. Yeah, the Hollywood uh, formula. Hmm. It's called. Uh, did you guys hear that one? I yeah, I did. I, I like that one. I haven't heard it. I saw it in Tam's feed, so I, it's in my. I saw my iPod, but I haven't heard it yet. Oh. Yeah, I huffed up it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's well yeah. worth huff stuffing. Um, Tam, why don't you explain the idea there? Um, he just uh, talks about like there's always a protagonist and he wants something concrete, and there's an antagonist, and then there's like a relationship character, and then everything else doesn't matter, right? And then right. I guess it's just the pacing. Uh, if you do the pacing correctly, you've got a you've got a movie. Yeah, usually there's three acts. And uh, John John Scalzi subscribes to this stuff. Like he writes his books in three acts, and mm-hmm. uh, he says that that's how to um, movie makers discovered how to structure the plot and characters to get the most emotional impact, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, I guess um, uh, what's it, what's the name of that editor? Uh, um, Lou, Anders, Lou Anders, I think. Lou yeah. Anders, that's right. Um, Lou Anders was saying that you know it, it, they should be a certain length here and a certain length there and a certain length there, and you want to get this, this, this done, and all the best movies have it. And he used a bunch of examples, including um, Casablanca and uh, The Dark Knight and a few others. And I was uh, as I was um, reading this story, I was thinking, okay, uh, let's try and apply this this rule, right? So, who is the protagonist in this story? <laughs> Well, uh, Edward Flaswell's the main character. Is he the protagonist? Okay, let's assume that. Um, what does he want? Uh, at first, he wants a, uh, to become a successful miner. And then later on, he wants to get a frontier bride. Um, who is well, preventing that's him? He, that's what he wants, in my opinion, is success. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple lines... <laughs> At the beginning, one by uh, the the guy who sells him the uh, the the planetoid, and another by his his new uh, foreman. <laughs> they exa- say the exact same line when he says, um, "I'm going to be a success, right?" And he says, "Sure, pal, sure." Which, <laughs> 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 to my mind, means no, you're not. But uh, if if he is the protagonist, uh, what does he want? He wants to be a success, and later on, he wants to. I guess get married to a frontier bride. That's what he wants. And then there has to be an antagonist, and the antagonist is the person who prevents the hero from getting what he wants, or the protagonist from getting what he wants, long enough to get to the end of the story. So I guess that would be who? The planet. <laughs> the planet. Yeah, the planetoid. I mean, just uh, the fact that he lives so far away, and that's that's what creates the drama. He can't have a normal life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't I didn't expect that, but yeah. Uh, so how does he how does how does he overcome the planet? His clever friend, the robot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then uh, most of it's solved on the first uh, couple young, of your robot. Yeah. yeah. I, I I was thinking that I was thinking that the 
antagonist was the yeah the duenna robot because yeah. every time they they were gonna uh you know spend some time together he he'd try and marry them oh. he, he's a blocker <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> release he's a like little tiny guy a mm. tiny robot who doesn't understand human emotions and just has a job freeze tried preacher that's right a couple jobs to do um so I, I thought that that might have been the antagonist. And then there was also supposed to be the relationship character uh, in this formula. And then in, in which case, I think that that would probably have to be uh, Ganga Sam. Right. right. But then I was thinking when we get to the end, we find out all this stuff about, about uh, Sheila and Ganga Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I think that actually our main character is not the protagonist because I think Sheila wanted something and Gunga Sam wanted something and they were frustrated in their attempts to get those things by the protagonist uh, by Flaswell the main character so I, I'm not sure how uh, I'm not sure what I'm saying is I'm not sure how the well, well what does a robot want uh, Massa, uh, not Massa, uh, Gunga. Gunga. Sam. What does he Gunga want? Sam. Uh, yeah. He wants to make his master happy. Oh, okay. I think. That's He's what... programmed to want that too. Yeah. So. He has no soul. Yeah, so he has been programmed from a human supremacist of the most rabid sort. Love that. <laughs> who has coded the robot's responses according to his own ideas of the respect due human people. Mm-hmm. In capital letters. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And that that's an, one of the most interesting things about the story that I thought about after it was over with is it says here that the planetoid was flourishing. So so the guy bought the planetoid and he was being successful. Mm-hmm. Everything was great. Okay? And the robot is the one who said to him, "Hey, you don't look so good." But yeah, Flaswell it didn't much. give any indication that Flaswell wasn't feeling bad. Right? Uh, so well, Flaswell was he's practically acting badly. He was talked yeah, he, into feeling bad. That's oh. how I interpreted it. Because Flaswell is like, no, I'm all right. And then he says, oh, it's nothing. And then nothing the, the robot says, hey, you've yeah. got a tick in your, in your left eye, and your fingers are trembling, and you're drinking too much. And then Flaswell <laughs> says, no, that's enough. A robot should know his place. And then the robot mm-hmm. was hurt by what he said, what Flaswell said. And then Flaswell says, you're right, of course. You're always right, old friend. What's the matter with me? And then the mm-hmm. robot says, you're bearing too much of the human man's burden. And now right. Flaswell's like, okay, um, yeah, something probably is wrong with me. Now we need to fix it. So I think the robot talked him into the fact that there was a problem in the first place. Uh, except uh, didn't the, uh, the guy who, who gave him the claim at the interstellar land office, didn't he, say that there, didn't he think there was going to be a problem too? And he says, no man in his right mind would, the clerk decided, um, would uh, want to go live on that planetoid because he hadn't thought it through, right? Uh-huh, right. Um, and then the uh, the then the author says, uh, but Flaswell was perfectly sane. He just hadn't stopped to consider the problem. So I th- I think he definitely was uh, exhibiting signs of you know space craziness or something. You know, just loneliness. Uh-huh. Or so what's the what's the human man's burden? Oh, the robots. <laughs> Isn't really? It? I don't think so. What, yeah. I, what I think the... Okay, go ahead. Go Anybody want to throw in there? What I think the I human man's a... burden is, is 
people telling them the way that they should be. And the robot has been programmed by this human supremacist who has specific ideas of what humanity should be. So that fit into what I was thinking. I think Flaswell was perfectly happy, and the robot talked him into not being happy. And then um, that's how I read it anyways. So maybe it's a marketing ploy. Like maybe the person who programmed the robots is the one making the profit from the purchase and sale of wow you know what that's, <laughs> you know that's, the brides. Really, order brides. that's a great idea because that uh, that would uh be a different definition of what human man's burden is yeah that's and really, now we think you cool. need to buy a build a bigger house and now yeah. we think you know you must have children and they need these certain things don't you feel it <laughs> mm-hmm. i can see all sorts of possibilities coming from that yeah. yeah, I also kind of was remembering um, the mode in God's eye. Like maybe the robots are like the Modis, where they know they have just enough leeway, where they can see the future a little bit and see what their people need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would that they make sense? Yeah, interesting. But yeah, in this case, they're talking you into needing what they're selling. That's really cool. I really love that. They're talking into what they, yeah. they're selling, and that's the human man's burden. Hmm. And he got them really cheap. And so then when he kept he saying it, you know, we're happy, we're laughing, we're carefree, and it's because we have no souls, says the robot. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think he's talking about the spiritual souls. He's talking about um, kind of the a soul as the essence of a person. And the hmm. essence of humanity is, in this case, buying stuff. Because his whole reason for doing everything he's doing is to make money. Right, so right. There'd be, be no purpose otherwise. Exactly. Well, yeah, is... you know, you were talking at the beginning about what it reminded you of. And I wanted to say the really obvious thing that this reminds me of is the gold rush and, mm-hmm. you know, the frontier when people were buying pieces of land sight unseen just to own pieces of it. And mm-hmm. all of that was about. Hills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There were a lot of lonely men out there, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, and a, and a lot of women went out there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just for mm-hmm. that purpose, because there was guys out there to marry. Yeah, money to be made. Right, exactly. Well, hmm. uh, I, w- I want to definitely talk about the the lifestyle of the robots, because I, th- I think it is hilarious. You know, you, you, Scott, you did quote that one of the things I highlighted was... Um, Sometimes I envy you, robots. Always laughing, carefree, happy. Um, Dancing, singing, worshiping their illegal god. That's right. And I I wanted to talk about, why is their combustion god outlawed? (laughs) (laughs) Flaswell lurched past and they began praying to the outlawed combustion god. But loyal Gunga Sam soon put a stop to this ominous uh, turn of events. Ignorant mechanicals, he told them. The boss human. He all right. Him strong. Him good. (laughs) <laughs> Leave me, brothers. It is even as I say. <laughs> I laughed so many times out loud reading this story. But the murmurings did not cease. Therefore, the robots looked to humans to set an example. Now, that's straight out of what Tamo sent me this morning. Uh, the white man's burden, right? Right. It's, it's a Kipling poem about uh, how we, we should, the white man should colonize the third world and improve everybody. And the fact that that the main character's named Gunga Sam, uh, rather than Gunga Din, right, has got to sort of give us the same idea uh, that he's definitely playing with with Kipling and uh, his uh, model of 
of human behavior. Wait, so I understand right. Kipling has a poem called White Man's Burden, and it's about us having to invade or <laughs> occupy third world countries. Yes. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's the justification for empire. Huh. See, all these ignorant people in all these foreign countries, they need us to help them because they're just too pathetic. And until they can take their rightful place uh, among the rest of humanity, they are inferior and we, it is our duty to go in there and, and wow. strip out their resources and educate them to our Christian ways. Well, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, in that interpretation, it would just be the planet, you know, population and mining and... Well, I, I, I would say that, that the human man, man's burden has to be the robots in, in the, at least the most obvious sense because let's assume that this isn't the only planetoid with robots on them, right? This is some sort of plantation style. I mean, they, they really are planting things and harvesting things, right? Some oh, I thought of, they brought the robots with them. Oh, they did, but yeah. they brought them from Earth, right, or right. wherever else, and and they were working somewhere pr- prior. These are all secondhand robots, right? Um, but clearly, well, this uh, is interesting. Yeah, um, there's this paragraph. It, it says at the very beginning, most novice pioneers find they have purchased a sizable chunk of naked rock. Flaswell was lucky. His planetoid, which he named Chance had a minimal manufactured atmosphere that he could boost to breathable status. Mm-hmm. Now, who manufactured the atmosphere? Yes, it's somebody. <laughs> so it, it makes it, it's interesting in that context that maybe they've been kicking whatever off of these planetoids. Uh, well, manufactured atmosphere wouldn't... Well, it's possible, but it makes me anyway, think... Anyway, you know, that's not part of the story, it. but it makes me think that, you know... The background yeah, is the, the most idea would be part, that hey, these planetoids are nothing until humans come to uh, monetize them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting thought, though. So, so are the other robots black people? Yeah, I mean, if Try, you, trying to decide if the story is racist or if it's satirizing racism. It's 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 a satirization of black people. But if you look at the the illustration on page ninety nine, I yeah, I think that that that's. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hilarious, and uh, when I saw the picture, I thought, "Oh, she's a robot." Um, and yet, and the reason I thought that, I guess, is because she had Sheila stitched right onto her, onto her uniform. Like, mm-hmm. why would she have that on there unless she was a robot? But uh, I guess we do that with anything. Like, you know, you go to a um, hair salon, and people have have name tags, and you go to Walmart, and people have name tags. Anything that. Is sort of been manufactured or regularized, right? Out of real people, they tend to do that. They put a label on them, hmm. um, and and so I mean, I think Sheckley's definitely playing with the idea of the robots have no souls; they're just manufactured people. But also, the woman, although she isn't, I don't think a robot. I think the idea is definitely put out there just by the way she's described. Right? She's a She's supposed to be a frontier model bride, but she ends up being an ultra deluxe model, <laughs> and then perhaps something else. I mean, it's it playing with the expectations. Everybody assumes the robots have no souls, but if you look at what the robots do, they 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 seem to have a lot of life in them. Yeah, yeah, they seem uh, to be just David, perfect, perfectly happy. You know, listen to this description. I thought this uh, uh, this is one of the ones I highlighted and then underlined said, 
The next few weeks were filled with excitement for Flaswell as he began to scan the skies anxiously. The robots picked up the mood of anticipation. In the evenings, their carefree songs and dances were interspersed with whispering and secret merriment. The mechanical said to Gungus M over and over again, Hey, foreman, the new human woman, boss. What sh- will she be like? It's none of your concern, Gungus M told them. That's human man's business, and you robots leave it alone. <laughs> of course, he's not leaving it alone. He's, he's, uh, he turns out to be uh, quite an uppity damn robot, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and he has robot intuition. He sure has a lot of human features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it says there, too, the next sentence is, but at the end, he was watching the skies as anxiously as anyone. Yeah. So he's, he's got plenty of, you know, anxious in him. Yeah. He's just trying to keep the keep them down. That's his job, right? Keep the robots from rebelling. Keep the robots uh, from worshipping the combustion gods. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> that is funny. Hmm. Um, and then when, when they, the bride does arrive, what do they do? They throw their oil cans into the air triumphantly. <laughs> They're wandering around with oil cans, holding cans. It's like, is that water? Whatever are they carrying? And when they work in the fields, oil glistens on their honest. Oh, faces. that was so, that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> their honest metal faces, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. And then, so I, I I can prove the the robots are having sex. Oh, please. Because uh, they keep going to sick bay to fix their uh, dents and dislocations. And then later on, the uh, preacher robot says, oh, I tried that once and I got all kinds of dents and it was very unpleasant. Yeah, that's true. But he, he also admitted that it was a short circuit, right? Right. I thought I felt something like an electric twinge, but it was nothing. That's right. <laughs> I, I guess this story is very cartoonish almost it is yeah. very cartoonish I mean not, not very believable the, the descriptions are are just w- wonderful um, the, when Gunga Sam's describing uh, the the ministrations she's providing to uh, Sheila's providing to the robots he says um, Gunga Sam said with diff, simple, simple dignity, you, you did not know it, sir, but when the, that rust epidemic broke out last week, she toiled night and day, bringing relief and comfort to the frightened younger robots. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's children? <laughs> of course there's robot children, right? So, so they're really benefiting from her presence. They are. And everything is right on this planetoid, right? Yes. The, the <laughs> robots know their place. And and the woman knows her place. That's it's it's kind of it's it, it's hard to say exactly what his target is, but he's definitely satirizing stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and now that she's there, they can go visiting. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the robots get more alone time because they're visiting <laughs> the planets. Well, Gunga Sam, uh, Gunga Sam will take care of that. And then um, every time, every time there's a uh, something good happens to Flaswell, he declares a half half day holiday. And then when they finally get married, uh, he proclaimed a three day holiday. And the robots sang and danced and celebrated <laughs> in their carefree robot fashion. <laughs> they sure seem to have soul to me. <laughs> Probably have soul music, but they right. Yeah, uh, 
They're, uh, I sure listen to James Brown. Yeah. And you know, uh, Scott, I think you uh, you you've seen these these Galaxy. I think it's Galaxy magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's fantasy and science fiction. They they have a series of them where there's robots like on the moon or something. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're always holding like a Sears Roebuck or Roebuck Ward catalog. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they're like ordering mail order parts from <laughs> from from someplace in a rocket. That's right. Comes in. That's right. It's it's sort of a. Uh, We've sort of figured out the model of the frontier, and then we're going to apply it to space, and it's going to work exactly the same way we did it on Earth. Yeah, that's funny, because I noticed that with the Charles Van Doren story. You remember mm-hmm. that? You found it yeah. for me, and uh, I was like, I've seen that robot before, and, and sure enough, there was somewhere else. Yeah, so, I, I think there's probably a whole series we could probably put together. And, probably so. And tell a story based on what, what's going on in those pictures. Yeah. Because the robot is always the same. It's the same robot. He's got uh-huh. like a... Like a red mouth and uh, green ears or something like that. Yeah. R- r- light bulbs for part- face face parts. <laughs> you could anthologize it and call it the robot frontier. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> That's funny. Now, um, when I was researching this, uh, I I was thinking maybe maybe there's more stories <laughs> like kind of like this where people are, um. You know, on the planet by themselves, and then a robot arrives, or a human woman arrives. Because I knew, I knew there was that Twilight Zone episode, and then uh, was it Scott? Did you you were talking about a movie at the beginning? Well, talking about a movie at the beginning? Star Trek. Star the Star Trek episode. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I, that one didn't occur to me um, exactly, but. Um, I was I was trying to see if I could find something else because it sort of sounded familiar. And I found um, there's a Wikipedia entry for asteroids in fiction, and I I just did a search for isolated or lonely or something like that because the uh, you know th- that's the idea is you get two people on a planet and it's it's kind of like that old saw where you know they're Adam and Eve right, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, when one of the one of them is a robot. It says, well, how far this, is this going to go? But um, there's one there uh, called Dumb Martian, a short story by John Wyndham. And the description sounded pretty interesting. It says, a ruthless Earthman buys a young Martian woman. Um, Martians in this story being a humanoid race subject to Earth-human colonialism and exploitation. She is to serve as a companion in his five-year lonely tour of dirty on an asteroid orbiting Jupiter. The power struggle between the two of them, isolated on the asteroid, forms the main plot, and the arrogant and chauvinistic Earthman finds uh, the, out the hard way that this dumb, his dumb Martian is not as dumb as he thought she was. Uh, so there's, there's, there's more stuff out there like it a little bit, but um, the one that sounded most interesting is actually not on an asteroid at all. Uh, it's a, another Twilight Zone episode uh, called The Lateness of the Hour. And that is really interesting sounding. And I must have seen it, but I don't remember it. Is that with Charles Bronson? Uh, oh, let's see. Inger or it's just him and a woman, but that's on Earth. No. What, uh, no, what's that one? It's just like uh, an apocalypse and there's only two people left. It's just him and the woman from Bewitched, Elizabeth uh-huh. Montgomery. And uh, I think she never talks in the whole thing. Ah, that sounds very similar. Um, this one, this one is from 1960, uh, from the second season, I guess. It says, um, 
Jenna, the sensitive daughter of a creative genius, Dr. Lorne, is distraught over her parents' reliance on her father's five seemingly perfect robot servants. She implores her father to dismantle the robots before he and her mother become completely dependent upon them. After he complies, she reveals to her parents that she plans to start a new life by leaving the stifling confines of the house, getting married and having children. Seeing their dismayed expressions, she comes to the shocking realization that she, too, is a robot, albeit much more emotionally sophisticated than the ones that were dismantled. And, and then I was thinking, oh, that's actually, that's Philip K. Dick, right? That's Blade Runner. Hmm. You've got a robot with implanted memories that thinks it's a person or an android or uh, a gynoid, a female android, something like that. And that, So I was thinking, uh, she's got to be a robot. Uh, she's got to be an android, Sheila, because why? How how else could you package a human person up in a in a Ziploc bag and <laughs> ship them off to a planet site unseen? But then, of course, it's undercut by what what her plans are. Right? She saw his picture. She thought he was sexy. She shipped herself out there and passive aggressively convinced him to marry her. <laughs> well, well, they they did ship River in uh, Firefly, the uh, sister. Uh, I think they did that out of necessity, though, didn't they? She, she right. was like, she were, was a wanted woman. Yeah, she was wanted. Whereas this is, this is like all out in the open. It's just uh, normal. It's normal <laughs> practice. Well, they've also made the planet livable for a human, so they probably are a little bit more advanced in technology. <laughs> Definitely, and they can make all these soulless robots that are just like people. Well, because at the end, the robot says, it is well known that human man needs attractive human woman. Gunga <laughs> <laughs> Sam knows best. Yeah. So, Jenny, are you, are you offended by this whole story? Um, I started examining my fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, that's the most puzzling part, is the need for short, strong toe and fingernails. <laughs> oh. Maybe that's so that she can do the you work. You don't want to peel open the nail on a cornstalk or something that's right <laughs> well and in some ways you know sheila had to downsell herself right she was too attractive to be a frontier woman so and she was kind of offended you know i can cook and clean too <laughs> and fix robots right so she didn't want people to assume things just because she was pretty <laughs> so this is a feminist story Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to be holding it up as the, the <laughs> premier feminist story of science fiction. No, probably soon. not. <laughs> but I, I, I don't remember laughing quite this much reading a story uh, very recently. It, it's, um, I think it's, it's uh, basically just a pure comedy. What do you guys think? Well, it's a, it's a satire, right? It's so, a satire, definitely. Mm. Right. But a funny one. Almost on the edge of <laughs> Yeah, silliness. it is funny. It is funny, yeah. And Almost it is on cartoonish, the like Tam said. It's definitely um, cartoonish. It's silly. But. Uh, but definitely, definitely silly. Right, I think it would seem even funnier if you watched it with all the little interludes of singing Dancing Robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that would be funny. Yeah, it would be good MGM cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> it, it 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 reads like a uh, script for a for a very uh, you know I see a lot of protesters 
<laughs> about the uh, the depiction of the robots, though. <laughs> Robot protesters. Well, most cartoons have serious political commentary in them anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still <laughs> think Sheila's a robot. You do? <laughs> well, look at this last paragraph. It says, Flaswell was always quite vocal on the advantages of shopping at Roebuck Ward. But Sheila knew that the real advantage was in having a foreman like the loyal, soulless Gungat Sam. See, definitely a robot. Well, I think that... <laughs> I think having that... an affair with the foreman. Wow. Yep. Well, I guess I guess the sequel we can find out if there was a half robot, half <laughs> or complete complete robot uh, baby. Mm-hmm. Right. Gunga Sam in the picture, he has a heart on his torso or his stomach, where his stomach would be. Mm-hmm. So hmm. is the robot from? Is the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz? Could be. <laughs> he has a heart, but he doesn't have a soul. <laughs> he definitely has a heart. He's like a matchmaker. But yeah, I think there's something. I think there's something to be said uh, for the idea that you know how you can buy an Xbox or a PlayStation or a Wii for well below the, the manufactured cost. They 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 subsidize these devices so that when you get them, you're going to be paying a lot more for the the products that you use them for. Right. Um, or the Kindle. The Kindle is that is that also? I would assume I, I've never got one, but I know that the the hardware is the, tends to be as cheap as they can make it. They try and make it cheaper than the competition because the 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 real profits are in the in the software, right? And the uh, the applications and even the hardware uh, accessories and all the stuff that comes with it. So once you've bought into it, um, it's cheap, and in in that way. Like Scott, you're saying um, <laughs> the the robot is is trying is pushing the 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 catalog right. He's pushing everything in the catalog. He wants to maximize the spending. He might be pro- pre-programmed to do that in the same way that you know uh, an Xbox is won't won't run any games except for Xbox games. Yeah, the way the iPod version of yeah. the Kindle software won't let you buy books on it. Right or yeah. yeah, just compare the i i touch with the iPhone. Right, mm-hmm. the i touch is six hundred dollars and the iPhone is two hundred dollars. Except the i touch is sort of a disabled iPhone. How is that possible? Well, because you're you're getting the contract and the contract's where the real money is, right? Mm. And it, yeah, it's like two thousand dollars over two years. So it's it's very possible that we'll end up with <laughs> with. You know, free robots in our house, but they'll be, you know, instead of the Roomba running around cleaning the floor, it'll be a robot in the kitchen saying, you know, you really need to buy some some branded products here. More Kellogg's Corn Flakes. You're running <laughs> More out. More moon creators. Moon creators? Moon creators. Oh, uh, I think that was in the catalog. Moon makers. Moon makers? Yeah, home distilling plants and moon makers and portable Solito Vision. All right. Yeah, I was wondering what Solito Vision was. I guess like like three D TV that you can yeah, touch but you or can something. touch it. Yeah. Hmm. I want one of those. <laughs> All quick frozen and shipped to your to your home by drone. I, I liked how she was doubly packed. Like 
<laughs> you had to follow yeah, the outside. I thought there was going to be a third one. Yeah. <laughs> what do you call that? A Russian Christmas present? A uh, nesting doll, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, I think we've nailed this story. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so can, can this story be found online? or No, it's, it's not public domain, unfortunately. Um, oh. uh, it's in Galaxy Science Fiction, September 1956, and uh, I will link to any other places that it's been republished. I expected it would be public domain, but um, research has suggested not. Some, some are, some aren't. Hmm. How is it, it explained? 1956, so I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of galaxy is public domain. It's not one that was um, completely uh, taken over, and it sort of died, I guess, in the like seventies. Mm. I'll just have to take our word for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look Has up. he written anything else we should read? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mostly short stories? Uh, he wrote a ton of short stories, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We've actually talked about quite a few of them on the podcast. Well, I haven't made it back past 100, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of listening to do. I know. Does he have any famous novels? Uh, sure. Um, I keep thinking Psycho, but it's not. No, no, I know that's wrong. No, that's uh, Robert Block, B-L-O-C-H. Uh, Sheckley wrote a bunch of novels, um, including one we talked about uh, as a read-along, and his name is escaping me. Uh, novels, Immortality, Inc., Status Civilization, that's a great novel. Remember that, Scott? Yep, I do. Uh, the Tenth Victim, that, that was uh, an expansion of the short story, The Seventh Victim, which we talked about on the podcast. Mind Swap from 1966, uh, we did a great show on that. Oh, Enjoyable uh, novel, lots of lots of uh, stuff going on in that. Um, and then he wrote uh, some sequels to uh, the Tenth Victim novels and a bunch of other ones. But he's basically oh, he did tie-ins like Star Trek and Babylon Five. Oh yeah, but uh, he's he's known for. I mean, he's got uh, hundreds of of short stories, right? And um, we've we've talked about several of them on the on the show. Is that where he excels in the short story? Uh, I think so. I Status think, Civilization was short, even. Yeah, Status yeah. Civilization was short, and Mind Swap was pretty short as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Tama, didn't you and I do a show on uh, Warrior Race? I think we did. Uh, I don't remember that. Maybe maybe that wasn't you and me. Maybe it was someone else. But uh, a lot of his stuff is public domain, and I think I've made a uh, Sheckley page uh, linking to all the LibriVox versions that are out there. He didn't do Space Merchants, right? No, that's um, C.M. Kornbluth and uh, Frederick Pohl. Okay. They're sort of contemporaries. Yeah, it seems, it seems similar in tone to that. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, they're both satires. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this one is much more comedic, I think. Yeah, it's pretty outrageous. Very outrageous. <laughs> outrageously funny descriptions out there man um, yeah I think if you like this one a uh, good one to check out is Mind Swap and that, that's available through Blackstone it's maybe six hours something like that and it's 
very, very funny. A lot of, lot of really outrageous stuff. In that story, uh, the main character is a human who wants to travel the universe um, and go on vacation. He's, to start with, he goes to Mars. Um, the way people travel uh, from planet to planet is not by rocket ship, which is very expensive. They just download themselves into a, someone else's body on a different planet. So he downloads himself into the body of a Martian and uh, is planning on having a, uh, an experience on Mars, but turns out that the body he downloaded himself into was, was a uh, kidnapped body, and so he doesn't have any right to be in it. And so he's in a constant struggle to get back to his own body, but he also can't get back. So he travels from planet to planet, from alien body to alien body, having very stranger and stranger experiences. Hmm. Cool. I read a Charles Straw story where they just download bodies into like a little chip, and then they put the chip in the rocket, and that's how they explore space. Well, it's kind of similar to... Uh, yeah, it's kind of also similar to um, um, Richard K. Morgan's um, Altered Carbon, right? They, he calls them sleeves. Right. You, uh, you have a little, I don't know, cortical something in the back of your neck, and that keeps your you, you in the body of the person you're downloading into. Yeah, you just keep it back up in case you get shot. That's right. And you get a new body. A lot of people get shot in that universe. Yep. Actually, the my favorite first two chapters of a novel, I think, is in that book. It's got a lot of um, good good idea stuff. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. 